everybody. Welcome to Sophia with an F. I cannot wait to dive into this week's episode. It's very different. Bitch, I have range. That's all I want to say. But before we get into it, I want to remind everybody that I have new merch at SophiaFranklin.com. But more so, if you could please, please, please subscribe and rate this show five stars. Um, it's the reason I can keep doing what I'm doing and I still have people trying to bully me and rate me one star. Maybe because they think I'm worth one star, but you know what? There's a lot of people who do it just to be assholes and uh, you don't even have to do it from your phone. You can do it from your mom's phone, your dad's phone, your brother's phone, your friend's phone. It just helps me so, so much. Also, follow me on all my socials at Sophia Franklin. Sophia enough, Franklin with a Y. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. 50 high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she is returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and the brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. I am joined by Mayam Bialik. I am thrilled to have you here, Mayam. Let's go ahead and address the elephant in the room. You graduated with a PhD in neuroscience. Why is that the elephant in the room? <laughs> because I graduated from Sloot University, which if you don't know what that is, it's a university that my listeners go to to learn how to squirt, how to give a blowjob, very graphic sexual material. It's a very important university. It is very, I mean, it's almost like the same as getting a PhD in neuroscience, really, if you think about it. Um, guys, I am joined by Mayam, and if you uh, are not familiar, she is a brilliant actor with four Emmy nominations, a Critics' Choice Award, and actually starred in my all-time favorite movie, Beaches. <laughs> Uh, plus, she has a hit podcast um, of her own where she discusses mental health called Mayim Bialik's Breakdown. Brilliant name, by the way. Thank you. I wanted to be able to say welcome to my breakdown because it feels like I'm always having one. Okay. You know what? You just made the best segue because we are what I do with my um, episodes. Every week I do a mental health check in the very beginning. So that is perfect. Should I start about my breakdown or do you want to start with your breakdown? I'll let you go first and then I'll, I'll do my version of that. Okay, beautiful. So you know what it is? This is what it is. I just started my own company. I'm 28 years old. I have no fucking clue what I'm doing. And I get overwhelmed so easily. My mom always likes to tell me I drown in a glass of water. That's her favorite thing to tell me. <laughs> 
And so now, being my own boss, I have to make seventy-eight decisions a fucking day, and. You know, I think that is just adds stress. Actually, a therapist told me I have hypersensitive personality. Have you ever heard of that term? Yeah, you're a highly well. We call them HSPs, highly sensitive people. Okay, I'm an HSP. Look, we're besties. That was easy. We found common ground right away. So, what does that mean exactly? So highly sensitive person is like the clinical term for people who are just super freaking sensitive, but they give us a term so that we don't feel so bad about it. Um, Highly sensitive people sometimes are also like sensitive to touch or sound or what's it called? Like when someone else chews, sometimes that makes people insane. Like, Like it's not just like, oh, that bothers me. Like that bothers me on a deep spiritual level. So yes. that's what they say, that we're highly sensitive people. And apparently, like, I mean, they're they're trying to look at sort of like, I mean, people do, they look at differences in like hormone distributions and like there may be genetic things. But ultimately, it's like some people are just super freaking sensitive. And now, now we have a thing, we're HSPs. <laughs> I've noticed that with, if there's a super loud noise, I will genuinely be fucking pissed or annoyed at whoever did that. Yes, that's your it's, that's your startle reflex. Yeah, we Okay. Yeah. Well, is it should I do my mental health check-in or do you want to keep going? I mean, I could keep going forever, but you go ahead, you take over. Well, let's see. I'm a highly sensitive person too, so obviously everything affects me. This sounds like we're at an AA meeting. It, it does. We're like, like, "Hi, I'm Sophie. Right. I'm a highly Hi, sensitive I'm, I'm, person." I'm a highly sensitive person. You know, for me, it's like everything is felt very deeply and very intensely, both like the good and the bad. And you know, if things are beautiful, they like make me cry. They're so beautiful. And if things are sad, like I feel it as if it happened to me. And sometimes it's a curse and sometimes it feels like a blessing, you know, to be that sensitive. Um, yeah, definitely feel like there's a level of exhaustion with COVID. Like, I'm just like, I'm over it. I'm overthinking about, like, I'm, I'm done thinking about it and wondering and worrying. And this may sound really stupid, but I think you'll relate. We start, I, I work on a set and they started making us wear instead of like the, you know, good masks that we were all wearing, we now have to wear the K95s, which is like the medical order. And I've gotten this disgusting rash all along the bridge of my nose. I'm like, okay, I'm not generally like a super vain person, but because I have to work on camera where they have to put makeup, it's so, it's just so annoying, which it's completely not to compare to all the huge things going on in the universe, but just like that level of like, I'm in now two masks at work with a shield. I also wear glasses, oh, it's but I two can't, masks. they now want us in two masks and then a shield on top of it. And then I wear glasses, but then that's just irritating my nose. I'm a mess. And like, even the back of my ears are so sensitive because I'm such a highly sensitive person that just the feeling of the mask on my ears, it feels like bruises all day, but that just like all adds up. I'm just like over it. Right. And I had grown my nails out, which is a miracle because one of my most favorite anxious habits is I'm a nail biter. And me too. I had finally grown them out. And then whatever happened in the universe, like the spike in COVID, I live in Los Angeles, like the epicenter of horribleness with COVID right now. And like the nails are gone. And it's, again, it's not so much the vanity. It's like, how is it that I'm a grown person and I'm still like, that's how I'm acting out my anxiety. Like, right. Should take up smoking or something. (laughs) (laughs) 
Honestly, would you rather have nice nails or be a smoker? There's something chic about smoking. I know, but I don't want to die of cancer. <laughs> I mean, it may happen anyway, but if I can have a hand in it, I guess I'm going to be a nail biter. So my the new thing is jeweling. Yeah, is doing the vape. So if you want to take that up, maybe you could do it that way. I don't way. think that's a good idea. And don't think it's so bad for you. I know, like they're bad and like there's chemicals that we oh, we didn't know. But also they have these ridiculous flavors, which they're like marketed to children. It's like squishy wishy cotton candy. Like, of course I'm gonna try and smoke that. Vapor. And it's so bad. It's new technology. You know, in you know, 20, 30, 40 years are gonna come out with this study that says you guys all have seven days to live. Whoever was smoking those. One hundred percent. And for us HSPs, that would be a shitty day to get that news. <laughs> and you know, like since we're talking about mental health, like I'm a person, I have OCD and um, you know, for us people with OCD, like I got all the initials by the way, but for people who have OCD <laughs> or like an OCD is a spectrum, you know? So if you've just got a touch of it, this COVID thing has sent a lot of people into overdrive, like the cleaning, the checking, the washing, like we already have germ issues, you know? Like, I had no idea that OCD was a spectrum thing. I thought it was a, you have it or you don't. Right. No. I mean, honestly, what we're kind of discovering now is most areas of mental health do exist on a spectrum. You know, we hear about like the autism spectrum and like, you know, it's all chemicals. So it's really just like, it's doses of chemicals. It's kind of like some people can have clinical depression, which like has a certain set of like criteria. And then some people have a different kind of depression or some people are just like experiencing grief or trauma and it'll look like, so it's really just like, we're all a combination of every chemical being thrown at us at once and then kind of like yeah. seeing what other things we do in our life to make it better or worse. So like if you have a propensity to be depressed, alcohol is actually going to make it worse because alcohol is a depressant, but you don't figure that out until you're like, it feels better when I drink, but then, oh wait, it doesn't feel better when I'm done. Oh my God. You read my mind. I went on a this is going to sound horrible. A two day bender with my friends who I had not seen in a couple of days. Was this planned? Was it like, let's go on a two day bender? It was not planned. It. it was completely unplanned, which can be fun. And was it fun in the moment? Absolutely. Really starting day two. I just, it takes, I really get depressed for the next week, I would say. Yeah. It's a lot of chemicals, meaning like it's a lot of adrenaline and endorphins. And I mean, most people I've spoken to, most people that I know have either started drinking copiously, meaning if they're not sober, you know, if they're not people who don't drink, they've either started drinking copiously or smoking a shit ton of weed this past year. I wish I could smoke weed. It, I can't handle it. Everybody's just like trying to like find the thing that makes us not realize what we're going through. So like it started yes. with like Tiger King, like everybody was into that, right? But it's <laughs> just like, that was, that was like early quarantine. We were like, Let's do this now. Every single person. Oh, my God. That was such a good fucking show. Was it a good fucking show or was it COVID when you're so bored? No, it was so good. It wasn't just that it was COVID, but also the fact that like it felt like the whole nation was united <laughs> in a sick, <laughs> twisted, distorted fucked up way. We were all one just for those episodes. Completely. I am going to reach out to Carol Baskin right after this, <laughs> right when I slam my computer shut. I'm going to be DMing her every single day. It was an amazing show. Um, 
Yes, the being on the spectrum, even alcoholism, I have heard recently that you're an alcoholic or you're not. And now it, they're saying that's on a spectrum also. I'm going to go ahead, as a neuroscientist, I'm going to go ahead and just, just want to like pull a footnote on that. Okay, please do. So look, there, I mean, I'm not speaking for the organization of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous is is one way, you know, that people tackle alcoholism. And yeah, the, the belief of, of, of AA per se is like, you're an alcoholic. You can never drink like other people. It's a, you know, progressive degenerative disease and, you know, but yes, there are other ways that people tackle alcoholism. And, you know, in my experience, and actually this has come up a lot on my podcast, in my experience, a lot of people who are dealing with addiction, there's actually other things that they were using that drug to try and fix. Meaning it wasn't like everything was going fine, life was great, and then like, oh, this is fun, and oh, now I'm an addict. It was like, there's a hole in my soul. It feels better when I'm stoned. It feels better when I'm high. It feels better when I'm drunk. Let's do that. And then you wake up 10 years later and you're 35 and it's like, what? I didn't develop all those parts of me. And then you have to do it and it's exhausting. But you know, sometimes we have to do it. I completely agree with you. Um, There's also, it's the nature versus nurture, right? So they'll say, no, you were born with that type of thing. Right. Yeah. I love how you came in. You're like, Sophia, actually, I'm sorry. Let the let the PhD do what it needs to do. I just didn't want to be like, the neuroscientist Mayim Bialik says, maybe you can drink if you're an alcoholic. I don't know. Like, I don't know people's lives. I don't know. But I just wanted to, like, go on the record saying, like, yo, yeah, there's I've, usually yeah. something else going on. Just saying. I don't yeah. want to offend anyone right now, but I was dating someone who was an alcoholic, and I think he convinced me maybe that it was on a spectrum. <laughs> so he could... I've known a few in my day. That sounds about right. <laughs> So maybe that's what it was. Maybe that's why I'm like preaching. Did he also that. say you're just too sensitive? Why do you need so much attention? Why are you such a needy bitch? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, he was that guy. That that was the type of relationship. Um, have you heard of naltrexone? This is so random. Have you heard of naltrexone? No. That drug. <laughs> what is it? So it was created. It's so weird because he started taking that and it completely changed his life. Oh, yes. I I think I have heard of this. Yeah. And nobody talks about it. First of all, my plan for this episode, everyone listening, was not to talk about alcoholism, by the way. (laughs) But now that we're here and I've like had experience with it, um, he tried AA. That didn't really work for him. And then he was works if you work it. Did you tell him that? <laughs> Works if you work it. He's like, when you're on the spectrum, AA is not necessary. And I was like, stop it. He did not. Okay, I'm super into this. I'm sure he said something along those lines. But naltrexone was a drug created for people addicted to opiates, I believe. Right. And um, you know what? I'm going to sound stupid. Something with the receptors, you don't get. Yeah, yeah, the- yeah. They block the receptors. So it can't. Yeah, exactly. They take away your good time is what they do. And so then what's the point? Exactly. And then it trains your brain over time to not crave it, right? Because you're not getting the reinforcement. Look at you. Maybe you're the neuroscientist. You got it. I think that's the next thing I'll do after this. Po- I can't even do one podcast a week. No fucking way would I be able to handle getting a PhD. But now they're prescribing it for alcoholism very rarely. Anytime I brought this up, no one has heard about this. 
but it's changed his life. So now Trek's on sponsor me. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> um, okay, Mayam. So you, I want to talk about mental health for one more minute because you have been very open about suffering from anxiety. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? I mean, like na- name it and and that diagnosis has crossed my path. I mean, I suffer. I mean, I suffer. I I live with um, depression and kind of always have, like since I was quite young. Anxiety is sort of a constant. Um, and then I do have OCD. I'm on the I'm on the moderate side of it. But yeah, I got I got all the good things. I used to have panic attacks, like for real, not not like anxiety attacks that I thought were panic attacks. So yeah, I've really like I've been through the mental health ringer, um, and I I come by it earnestly. You know, I come from a really interesting, awesome, loving, creative, complicated family that had mental illness on both sides. So, um, you know, it's kind of in our blood. And then then you add the environment and there you go. <laughs> Do you feel sometimes people use that term very casually? Yeah. I mean, I know for me, I'm saying, I say I have anxiety or that gives me anxiety all day long. You just said you've live with every type of thing in the book. Pretty much. Disorder in the books. <laughs> I don't know. The DSM is pretty thick. That would be like a lot of shit going on. A lot of letters and numbers have passed my uh, passed by me. Like, oh, maybe you have this. Maybe it seems like you have this. But anyway. Do you think any of it is something, uh, you know, after therapy or maybe is getting older you grow out of or it's always a part of you? So, I mean, this is a, this is a great question. It's a big question. And, you know, I can't turn off my scientific brain. There are certain things you do not grow out of, but the fact is what we have control over is our coping mechanisms, the things that we do to try and support ourselves and the things that we can do that actually make us worse. So in that sense, like therapy is not just you telling your problems to someone and having to pay the money. It's it's learning new techniques so that you process information differently. That's also what medication does, right? Like just like you talked about with the fancy drug, um, medication makes it so that your brain has a different distribution of chemicals, which does make you react differently, but that's not the only way to change your mental state. Um, So there are times absolutely when I'm less anxious and there are times when I'm more anxious. And usually I see it in my eating I see it in, um, yeah, a desire to drink, you know, um, yes, nail yeah. biting. Also, I'm a person who just doesn't sit still. I'm just like one of those like fidgety, you know, people who has a hard time sitting still. Um, to me, that's not something I, I've chosen to medicate. You know, having panic attacks is a very specific thing. Like when I had panic attacks, it was like, you cannot function because you keep thinking you're dying while driving in your car at 65 miles per hour. So like that, we, we, we take care of acutely. But um, for me, you know, I've had periods in my life when I'm on medication, off medication. I mean, I've had psychiatrists be like, let's try these three medications at once and see if that helps. Ultimately, what helped was really, really intense therapy. And I mean, being honest with a therapist, not just like going in and being like, I don't know, things seem fine this week. Guess we're done here. Like really getting brutally, brutally honest and yeah, changing my lifestyle in a lot of ways to give room for me to start having space to process information. Like that's what we do as humans. And you know, emotions are like urine, you know, you can try and hold it in, but eventually (laughs) it's going to come out. It will surface at some point. Exactly. Um, when did you have your first panic attack? I actually suffered from panic attacks for 
two or three years when I was in high school, and then I haven't had one since. That's nice. I got it under control. Um, mine was prompted from smoking weed. Yes, very common, actually. Yep. Really? It is? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I smoked a lot of weed. We can just put it that way. You can think that you're dying. For me, it's not so much I think I'm going to die. For me, I thought... Uh-oh, you're going to be in this state forever. forever. You're a crazy person now. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It is common. And, you know, I, I always think like, gosh, if my kids heard this, what would, you know, what would I think of that? But my kids do know. I mean, it, it's something that I've talked about. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've been alive a long time. Um, I definitely did not try um, pot until I was in my older teens, which I'm glad that I waited. And yes, I had... One particular experience where I had all those thoughts you had, and then I thought I needed to go to the hospital. <laughs> and Classic. It's not fun to be that girl because it's not fun. Everybody else was fine except this M. And <laughs> it was like the worst. And the thing with panic attacks is when you think about them, it can bring on more. And right. that's where no, I'm feeling it a little bit, but I'm like, I have it under control. Yeah. So <laughs> what, what pot does, I mean, that's, it's a dissociative feeling where you kind of leave your consciousness and you start seeing yourself, which look, if you're like a hot, you know, those people who smoke pot like all day, every day. And they're like super into like, oh, I'm in touch with my feelings. And you know what? They seem like they are. That's not my story. My story is like, oh, I'm not in my body because that body is crazy and I'm never going to get my brain back. So I best go to the hospital. <laughs> I'm you know, surprised we you have to laugh the about these things. <laughs> I know, well, I'm did, now. did I did I did I beg the people I was with to take me for hours? Yes, they would not allow me. I also was not allowed to go. They took me for a walk. I had no idea where I was. It was not a good night. And I know that this sounds funny, but I will say it was a definite turnoff. And I was like, if this is what happens to me, no, thank you. It's terrifying. Yes. Okay. I have never spoken to someone who has the same experience with marijuana ever. Oh, it's because everybody else doesn't want to talk about it. They're afraid they'll get a panic attack again. <laughs> As I hurry and scuffle my papers and I'm like, okay, next, next fucking topic. <laughs> so that so you didn't smoke weed until you were older. Late in my teens, yeah. Okay, late in your teens. So this is a perfect transition because you are an extremely established actor. And we we need to drop the panic attack thing right now. (laughs) So you started acting. How old were you? I was 11 when I started professionally acting. I was like in school plays and stuff before that. But I started professionally acting when I was 11, which is considered late because most child actors start at like two, three, and then their brains are just processed to be like, I will do what you say. But at 11, I was, I was already like, you know, I had some personality to me. I had already been raised, you know, in public school and, you know, I grew up in LA and, um, I was cast in beaches about a year after I started acting. And my parents always said that I looked like Bette Midler and Barbara Streisand. 
two old Jews that many people haven't heard of, but for those of us who have, I do look like, you know, a combination between Barbara Streisand and Bette Midler. And so that movie came out when I was 13, Beaches, which you mentioned. Uh-huh. Um, I was about to say, I have known you my entire life as Bette Midler's daughter. <laughs> so I'm glad to meet you in real life now. I'm the real deal, not a redhead. Um, and then, yeah, so that came out when I was 13. And then I did a series, um, actually a really bad series, but Jennifer Aniston played my my sister and that was short-lived and then after that I did Blossom for five years and then I went to college and I had two kids and then I came back to acting about 10 years ago. Right. Can you feel it, Sleuths? The days are getting warmer and spring has officially sprung, which means spring break is here. Which, for the older folk, that basically means people are going outside, they're staying outside, and they're staying out way longer. But the thing is, who wants to deal with those post-party struggles? I know I don't. I mean, I quite literally and physically can't at this stage in my life. And that's where my spring break essential comes in which is Taste Salud. Say goodbye to the Sunday Scaries with Taste Salud's hydrating drink mixes. Listen, I started my spring break a little bit early last weekend when my best friend Allie came to town and we had a night or two on the town and how I felt honestly come Monday morning was better than any spring break party you can imagine. And that is a rare occurrence for me and has only started happening since I've started drinking Taste Salud religiously. Because unlike those big name brands we all know, Salud knocks it out of the park with their one-of-a-kind flavors. I'm drinking one right now. And no, it's not because I plan on drinking any kind of alcohol, but just because I'm trying to get hydrated and energized, I'm obviously drinking the horchata flavor, but you got to enjoy flavors like cucumber lime, hibiscus, and they even have mocktails now. Say hello to Paloma and strawberry margarita. Filled with electrolytes and vitamins that support hydration and boost immunity with less sugar. I'm talking only one gram of sugar per stick. This is exactly what you need to get your Sunday fun day going, regardless of what the rest of the day entails. And here's the best part. They're sharing the love with all of my listeners. Enjoy 10% off your first purchase with the code SOFIA10 at checkout. That's S-O-F-I-A and the number 10 at TaySalud.com. Cheers to health this spring break season with TaySalud. Apartments.com believes having a gym in your building does way more than just get you in shape. It turns your entire life around and is a great place to scope out the hot guy that lives in your building. And by guy, I mean guys. Having a gym in your building makes it 
10 times more likely that you actually end up, show up, and work out. I mean, it's five floors down or whatever it is. And you'll be saving money on a gym membership that you'll go to probably half as much. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live is easy. Apartments.com hosts more rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. Or a treadmill, for that matter. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. So you started acting at 11. Was that something you wanted to get into or your parents kind of wanted you to? No, my parents, my dad in particular, my dad was a drama teacher. I mean, he wasn't my drama teacher. He taught at a performing arts junior high school um, here in Los Angeles. He was a a poet and a writer and, you know, he didn't really like believe in the industry because it was, you know, he was like a, he was a real artist is how he saw it. Right. Um, My mom she had just finished working. She was the nursery school director at the synagogue I grew up at and she had just stopped working. And she was like, you keep saying you want to be an actor. The only way to do it is when I'm not working. So since this job had just ended, she's like, if you want to try, we'll try. I had no idea that I'd like have my own TV show, you know, within three years. Like that's not, it's nuts. I like grew up, I grew up in a like, you know, shitty rental in Hollywood. Like this was not my life trajectory. I was like a funny looking, I mean, I'm a funny looking adult. I was a funny looking kid. You know, my grandparents were immigrants and, you know, just like, that was not my plan. It happened like an accident, really. It's a pleasant accident. A, a really pleasant accident. But very strange. Very strange. I mean, like, very strange. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And so you were acting and then you, did you enjoy it? Did you love it? What was your, what was your schedule like? Were you working constantly? Well, you know, being on a sitcom is actually a really, I mean, it's a pretty easy schedule in that you work like school hours, essentially, you know, okay. that's a lot of hours when you also have to do school every day on set. So I would usually come in at like seven, do three hours of school and then work from like 10 to six or 10 to four or something like that. And then we would t- tape in front of a live audience. So that was like, we'd work till 1030 at night. But, you know, I was, I was a teenager for some of those years. So there's all sorts of laws about, you know, like how long kids can work and stuff. Um, so that's what it was like. We would film three episodes like that. Then I would be off for a week and go back to my junior high or my high school, which that did not make me popular. I know you might be like, that's cool. Really? It didn't. No, it didn't. No, I was a gigantic nerd. We were all nerds. I was in like all those nerd programs where they, you know, they like isolate all the like nerdy Asperger's kids. That's what we were. (laughs) And they put us in like, you know, one part of the quad. And if you step outside of that, you get beat up. And, um, you know, I went to public school, like where people had knives and guns and like, oh, wow. I would then, yeah, I would then go back to work and like for three weeks be like, you know, the star of the show and then go back to school and like, all the boys were mean. All the girls were mean. Like, that was just life. You were a celebrity. And when you would go back to normal school, that like that didn't give you any street cred, for lack of a better term. Keep in mind, my young friend, who literally could be my daughter if I had actually had sex when I was 17. Um, yes. No, there was, there was no internet then. Like, 
it was just like I was on a TV. There were only right. three television networks. Like the world was not as big and celebrity focused as it is now. So like, yes, I was very recognizable, but it was more just like, oh, you think you're so hot? And I was like, no, I really don't think I'm hot at all. <laughs> I just would like to be included in Sarah's birthday party. <laughs> it's like, well, you can't come to Sarah's birthday party. So it was a little bit like that. And I, I very quickly, you know, found kind of the misfit, the misfit kids and got really into music and, you know, would hang out at Venice beach. And I had lots of piercings in my ears and, you know, like I just like, I found my group. I had my first crush on this guy who, you know, liked punk rock and he was really awesome. And I wrote him poems and it was very romantic. Oh, you did. Oh yeah. Did you have your dad ask you for help to write the poems? (laughs) No, No. that's gross and weird. No, I just like wrote whatever I picked a wrote. This is how I told this guy. This is the first person that I like legit had like romantic feelings for. I picked him a rose from the garden and I wrote a poem really about like how beautiful his eyes were. Like he did have beautiful eyes and I put it on his desk on like the first day of finals in like, I don't know, ninth grade. And was he into it or did he run for the hills? No, he, he was like really confused and we actually met (laughs) up later in college and he was like, I just had zero idea how to handle like being 14 and you're like writing me po- and I would like dress like him. Like I wanted him to like me so bad. Right. He once said to me that he thinks he peaked in junior high. Like when I liked him was when he was like at his finest. So, you know, <laughs> that's fucking hilarious. I'm always saying, uh, you need to act like you despise the guy and you're not into him to get him to like you. Yeah, I was not so suave. Can- I'm still not suave. I tried dating, like after my divorce, can you imagine? I hadn't dated in like 20 years because I had been married. Oh. So like the last time I had dated, there were no cell phones. Like I, and people were like, men shave their body hair now. And I was like, they do what? <laughs> like, we just want, Mom, we just want you to be prepared. You may need to have sex on the first night. I was like, hold on one second. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. And also they may have trimmed body hair. And I was like, I got to Google this shit. This is weird. <laughs> You're like, I thought you're supposed to pick them a rose and write them a poem about their eyes. You know, like you do in the 1800s when I last dated. That is fucking hilarious. I was not very good at social things. I'm still not good at social things. I'll have you know this. I'm not either. I'm really mm-hmm. not. So I'm no, freaking I'm, out right now. You're doing great. You're doing great. <laughs> I didn't have my first like boyfriend boyfriend. Yeah, until, I mean... My first like proper boyfriend was when I finished Blossom. I was 19 and he was older. He was, he was older. We'll just leave it at that. I'm not like that. I'm sorry. He was eight years older. Okay. I'll just say the number. Okay. Got it. The eight years, I mean, to me, I dated someone that was 17 years older and I will never do something like that again. I'm 17 years older. Are we dating now? <laughs> we're we are dating and we're going to do fine just like huddled in the corner with our HSP. I, I already think know. you and I should start dating, smoke a lot of weed and see what happens. Our life would fucking go off the rails. I already know. I have to ask you this question. I just watched the um, Judy Garland movie. Okay, I haven't seen it. Okay, and when she was filming The Wizard of Oz, 
she there's this there's multiple scenes actually where the producer the executive of the network whoever um would be feeding her and almost forcing her to take amphetamine so she would oh, stay awake terrible. to film why are you giving me i'm gonna have nightmares about this now <laughs> that's terrible it's terrible it, it was really horrible did you ever see anything like that on set no so so i worked on um I mean, I worked on a very clean set, which is really a blessing because I think that is like, that can be really, really painful and difficult. Like, you know, there were three teenagers, me, Joey Lawrence and Jenna Vonoy, and we were all like super, just like head down, schoolwork, show up at like, we all just like went home and watched TV. Like none of us were partying or anything. Um, but I will say that um, I worked on Webster, which is this show from the Middle Ages that I was on. And it was popular when I was a kid, you know, and I was on it from the time I started acting. I did like eight episodes. And like, I never saw anything. Like, everything seemed fine. And I found out later that like the entire crew was drunk. I had no idea. Like, someone was like, oh, yeah, they used to like go to the whatever. There was this restaurant across the street. Yeah, everybody had like three drinks at lunch. And I was like, that is hilarious. And I was like, I can't imagine working on a crew and wanting to be drunk. Like, that's right. Not, like, I mean, I guess if you really like need it, that's back to our alcoholism story. But I can't imagine being like, like, I could do my job with three like if i have three drinks i want to be like out i want to have a i don't want to be in a stage wearing headphones and like absolutely not are we talking like the crew or the actors or everyone and you weren't invited the crew no not the actors all the actors seemed completely sober and i think they were okay no apparently it was like a thing that like the crew would do this and i didn't even know um, but no, I, I was on really, really clean sets. Um, you know, like now it's kind of like pot is so ubiquitous that like now you see it more at parties and, you know, like people are more into that. And honestly, like the thing that's legal, alcohol, is what you see most people abusing like right. at, in Hollywood and at parties and things like that. Also, like there's this whole trend, like when you do those like celebrity game show things, I don't know. Like there's a lot of really fun ones, but, and I won't name them cause that might be mean, but it's also like they, like the second you get out of your car service to get there, it's like, here's a glass of champagne. It's like, Oh really? Am I only funny when I drink? The answer might be yes. <laughs> no, that's very interesting. I mean, I've heard a lot of people feel they can't perform unless they're on copious amounts of drugs or alcohol right, right? i mean I, th I my mind goes to rock stars i think that's a problem i don't know it's on the spectrum <laughs> that's what i'm trying to say they're this fine. is our new thing we'll have all our yeah. friends doing cocaine and heroin like oh you're on this <laughs> yes. oh you're on that side of the spectrum okay right but i've heard i read this article actually that was very interesting and I wish I remembered his name. He was a very uh, established rock star. And he said when he would go back and listen to his music, when he was high on coke and drinking and stuff, in the moment, he thought to himself, I am killing it. And when he listened back, he was like, this is garbage. I do so much better sober. I just watched the documentary on Robin Williams. And, you know, like I grew up watching Robin Williams on Happy Days and Mark and Mindy. And... Like I, as a kid, I didn't know, you know, but he talked all in the documentary. They have all this footage of him talking about it. And it's just like, it's sad. Um, and also like, I can't imagine what it would be like to have that material recorded, you know, like, 
No, I was stone cold sober every time you've seen me on yeah. camera, except when I do celebrity game shows. And then I've had a glass of champagne. I, OK, so that now I want to watch every celebrity game <laughs> show and just like pay attention to people. I will say I've recorded this podcast intoxicated before and listened back and wanted to cry because I'm like, you sound like a complete idiot. But you know what? It's it's obviously something I rarely do. It's hard when you're it's hard when you're interviewing someone and they are wanting because I talk about very explicit material and they're like can we take a few shots to loosen up and I'll be like shit that's rude (laughs) if I like don't do it and I want the guests to feel comfortable so I'm learning as I go you also don't have to drink as much as your guests it doesn't have to be like a one for one thing I think when you hit like 34 you might be like oh now I get it like they could take three shots, I could take one. I thought you had to do the exact same thing. That's hilarious because I really do. So do you think that you being on the set and you weren't invited to get drunk with the crew? <laughs> I was 11. That's your high- <laughs> Um, Do you think, this is what I really want to ask point blank and I don't want to be offensive in any way, but. This is about squirting and blowjobs. <laughs> It's not at all, actually. It's about, unless you want to go there. Not yet. Um, it's, not yet. Not yet. We don't need to. Um, it's a lot of childhood stars. The ones I grew up idolizing, Lindsay Lohan, Britney Spears. Turned out, I'm not going to use the word crazy because we're all crazy in our own way. No, for sure. But they, people, it's a common thing people say is child stars grow up a little bit wacko or a little bit out of control no totally well i mean i think part of look people people become wacko and out of control and addicts and you know suffer from mental health and you know challenges that happens whether you're an actor or not so first of all like we're totally like seeing the lens a little bit like it's magnified right but here's the deal about being a child actor and like i'm saying this as someone who you know like i lived through it when you are put in a situation where everyone's telling you how amazing you are and everyone is also in many cases lying about how amazing you are because no one's a saint and no one's perfect. And I'm not perfect all the time. I make mistakes all the right. But when you grow up in an environment where you essentially have to push down any of your needs to make other people happy, like literally you, you don't get to have a grumpy day. You don't get to have a sick day. You eat when we tell you, you eat and being a kid, you know, you remember being a kid. Sometimes you're hungry. Sometimes you're grumpy. Like there's no room for that. So there has to be a way for a child who's an actor to push those needs down and add, so add money, add power, add people telling you that like your poop doesn't even smell. Like that's the perfect recipe for then whoever knows what genetic things you came with, right? It's what you said. It's like nature and nurture. You could take someone who has no propensity to become an egomaniac or a narcissist and you put them in that situation. It's like, that's the perfect formula for a disaster, you know? Yes, completely. And so why do you think you grew up normal? I'm doing air quotes, people. So thank you for the air quotes. Um, (laughs) I definitely do not think I'm normal. And, and also it's hard to be like, oh, well, my parents had the perfect formula and here, blah, blah, blah. Because I, I have people in my life from the industry who have lost their lives to suicide, to all sorts of mental health challenges, to alcoholism. Um, so it, to me, it's a, it's a disservice to their memory to be like, I figured it out. What I do know for me is that in my family, like 
my grandparents were immigrants, so strong ethnic immigrant kind of like where were they from i'm sorry to interrupt yeah my my mom's parents were from um some people call it poland or ukraine my grandfather was from a town called suvalki my grandmother was from the czech hungary border she was ethnically hungarian and then on my father's side um warsaw so poland okay Got it. Yeah, both of my parents are immigrants too. Oh, so you so get I feel, it. I feel that. Yes. Yeah, and there's that mm-hmm. notion of like, you know, no matter what you do, like go to college, you have to succeed. And like, especially as a woman, because like no women were ever allowed to even like go to junior high in my family. Like, I'm like, it, this is like a new thing. So I was raised like that. My parents were very strict. I'm just going to say it. Like, they were really strict. And it was like, do your schoolwork. Like, they were. They just, they raised me kind of like it was the 1940s. Like, it was very old fashioned. That meant like by the book, by the book. Like I learned to cook. I learned to clean. I learned to like, sew. I learned to darn socks. Like it was like, they raised me like it was another time. And in some ways, like that kept me very isolated, which I think protected me in certain ways, but also made me feel super out of touch. Like for me, I think that saved me from a lot of the like, you know, my dad was always like, this could all disappear overnight. Sleep well, you know? So like, I lived with like this, like, you know, fear. But for me, it like, it did it. It instilled a lot of humility in me. Um, and, you know, I was never really, just never really taken by fame or money. Like, that's just not how I'm wired. And a lot of that, you know, not to be such a scientist, but like, a lot of that is wiring. It's not like there's a gene for do I like sparkly things, but there is a gene. There's a set of genes that make us who we are and what we like and what we're into. So that that's like a thing, you know? So I've always been kind of like different. Yeah. And, and I know a lot of child stars, again, who like heard all those messages and yeah, took it and ran and like think that they're really awesome. But again, you meet people like that who aren't actors, you know? <laughs> just like exactly I had that same thought it's like we say you know childhood actors tend to be this way when they're older it's like well if you really look at the entire population you know that's not necessarily what it is yeah but Hollywood is a mess like you've already got I mean I know a bit about you there's like a tremendous amount of ego and there's a tremendous amount of like it's the patriarchy like whether you like it or not we're all living in the patriarchy so like there, there, all those things exist in our industry in a super magnified sense because again, like you add money and power and like it's, it can be a really obnoxious business. It can be an obnoxious city and like, you know, what you look like is super important and how skinny you are is it's super important. Like that's a thing. I mean, I'm not saying I think it's important. It's important to our business, like how you look and all that stuff. Yeah, I think, you know, there's starting to be a shift, but we are so far behind. It's going to be like a long time before, you know, that changes mm-hmm. completely. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, wider looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. It literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it's so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes. 
Plus, it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify eye drops. When you try it, you'll see that it's what your eyes have been looking for. Check out LumifyEyes.com to learn more. Look, you've had a long day, your boss is annoying you, your boyfriend is accusing you of something you didn't even do, and your sibling is asking you for money. That's like an everyday thing for me. While I don't have all the answers, I do know that we have the power to change any situation we're in in a flash, in a snap. We can turn it into a celebration and a little glass of wine is just the thing to turn your day around sometimes. But of course, you just realized you ran out of everything. Luckily for you, our friends over at DoorDash have you covered. If you're in the mood to treat yourself or just want to make sure you are always hostess with the mostest ready, DoorDash is your go-to without you having to move from your couch. And it's convenient. Do you know how heavy a handle of tequila is? How about five of them? Exactly. Plus the alcohol selection at DoorDash is top-notch. You will find what you're looking for. Beer, wine, mixers, and even mocktails for the non-alcoholic girlies can be delivered straight to your door. So get your drinks in hand without lifting a finger with DoorDash. And use code SOFIA24 to get 25% off up to a $15 value when you spend $35 or more on drinks through DoorDash. For eligible users only, terms apply, must be 21 plus to order alcohol, drink responsibly, delivery and promotions available only in select markets. Maya, we are running out of time. I'm having so such a I good have, time with you. Me too. After we got over the panic attack hump. <laughs> um, I would be honored if you would answer just rapid fire yeah. if you listen to I'm questions. really terrible at rapid fire, but I'll give it a shot. The pressure could be great, but no, I'm excited. Here I go. <laughs> okay. Uh, you posted a video where you talk about how you have always been kind of anti-vaccine. Mm-hmm. And then this year, you plan to get the COVID vaccine and the flu shot and your children as well. Right. And I'm so interested by that because, like, how do you decipher which vaccine and why did you make a change? Well, and also I should clarify, it's not that I've been anti-vaccine. My children were vaccinated late, um, which in many in many circles is not okay. Um, we we made we made a medical decision, which isn't everybody's business, why that decision was made. But anyway, so I've never been against vaccines. I know vaccines work. I also have been, you know, one of the people who has generally said, we should make sure we examine carefully what we're, what we're being told by our doctor. That doesn't mean don't take that. It means find out what you're taking, find out what's in it, learn the things that you need to know, know that vaccines are not hundred percent effective. And what does that mean for your health? So anyway, that's just like me in general. And yeah, it's big business. Like 
Vaccines are big business, as is all pharmaceuticals. We live in capitalism. It's the patriarchy. I get it. Fine. Okay. Period. <laughs> but what you're talking about is on on my YouTube channel. Um, I did decide to post a video because I mean, especially with and I'm not going to get political with the last presidency. There was so much confusion about who you trust, meaning like everyone was kind of like, oh, do we trust the White House information? Do we trust the CDC? Why did the CDC change their mind when they spoke to the White House? Like, what's happening? Um, So for me, I wanted to make a video clarifying that like science is real. This is not like a common cold. This is not even like a common flu. This COVID business is real. The complexity of it is real. We don't know a ton about it. We don't know a ton about the variants. We are still learning. We're still learning what the vaccine actually can and can't do. However, the number of people who have died in this country, in the world, is indicative of the fact that this is a different story. Please take the vaccine. Do not F around. My mom actually just got hers today, which was amazing. So yeah. That is amazing. Very happy for your mom. All right, next question. Hi, Sophia. Do you really think that if a man wants to be with you, he will be? Or do you think that mental health or life circumstances can really get in the way of being with the right person at the wrong time? Have you had any experiences with that or have any advice for this person? Yeah. Her boyfriend's saying he is suffering from something and can't be with her right now. Hmm. Gotta say I'm a little skeptical. Here's the story from my literally personal direct experience. Um, my worst depression was I when I was when I was in college. Um, and I was with the person that I ended up marrying and making two babies with, and it was a tremendous pressure on him to deal with someone who was so Mm -hmm. depressed. But what I will say is that, and it could be different also if the genders are reversed, like, you know, meaning like if it's the woman being helped because it's harder, you know, culturally it's harder for men to receive help. Anyway. Yes. But what I will say is like, he had to have a tremendous amount of strength to be able to be okay with how not okay I was. So if there's any hint of like codependency of like, I'm not okay unless you're okay, that relationship's going to really suffer. And the fact is you want to be there for someone, but it's also hard to be there for someone if you have judgment about the way they're handling things. So the fact is if someone was like, oh, I'm diabetic, but I don't want to take my medicine. I'm not going to exercise or change my diet. Then it's like, okay, well, that's a different story. Can you be with an untreated diabetic? Right. That's probably really hard. It's kind of like if you're with someone who has addiction problems and they're just like, you got to love me the way that I am. But if the way that you are is making it so that you're not dealing with any of your issues and we keep getting into fights and all you want to do is be drunk or stoned, probably larger relationship issues. And look, you know, if you have kids together, if you're living together, it's going to be more complicated. Ultimately, you have to agree to be in a partnership and know that if someone has that significant a mental health issue, they do need to get help and support and you cannot be their only help and support. Thank you. That is such a... Wow. Maya, that was like, damn, you're you're (laughs) fucking good at this shit. That is such a great point. I think it, you know, you need to look at the situation and are they trying to do something about it? I think that's huge. And once again, yes, you can't be their life source. And then you'll get resentful and you'll start like, then you'll like cheat on them and you should have just broken up and then you're cheating and it's awkward. Then you get pregnant, you have a baby. It's a whole thing. 
Sorry. You're like, it's just like spilling out. Um, okay, last question. This one's very interesting. Hi, Sophia. Please tell us your thoughts on the Madonna whore complex. This psychological complex is said to develop in men who see women as either saintly Madonnas or debased prostitutes. Freud wrote, where such men love, they have no desire, and where they desire, they cannot love. Do you believe this is a real thing? I didn't know Freud said that. Yeah, this is a thing. <laughs> it is a thing. The short answer is this is a thing. And, um, you know, I've definitely, I've heard this. It's very hard. I don't want to disparage the Jewish community. So I will just say that in certain communities where it is encouraged to marry a certain type of person who's like you in certain ways, yeah, a lot of times you'll hear people who are like, oh, but I can date all those other women because it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really count, which is really, really denigrating right. and, and disgusting. Um, and also hashtag patriarchy. But um, this, this literally is a thing. And I think there are a lot of issues. And honestly, this comes up a ton on my podcast. There are a lot of issues that we get left over just from childhood. And, you know, Freud was wrong about a lot of stuff. He was right about a lot of stuff. And this whole notion of like a child's <laughs> right. attachment to mother and in particular a boy's attachment to mother as they are, you know, especially as they are evolving as their own sexual beings who, you know, go out and again, culturally determined in many cases, but do conquer and, you know, pillage. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, this is a thing. And also as someone who's like not traditionally attractive, like I would hear this a lot from guys like, you're the one I want to like hang out with and like, you're the one that I want, like, just as my friend. But, like, I really want the Playboy model to be my wife. And it's like, you go do that. You go have that. And right. It happens. Yeah. It happens with age two where guys are like, oh, I really want to have, like, a meaningful relationship with a woman. But in the meantime, you know, I'd like to have sex with women as young as possible. Like, that's also, like, super creepy. Absolutely. It is. It's like, oh, but then when I'm ready to get married, I want the virgin who essentially is my mother. That's weird. Like women are, we can be a combination. We can be like, we can be a lady in the streets and a freak in the sheets. Like we can do all the things. You can have all that in one woman. 100%. Ooh, I haven't heard that one in a while. Oh yeah. I'll bring it all back, sister. <laughs> I also think that um, generationally, uh, I would say men are a lot more open to their female partner being both. I think so. I mean, at least from my personal experience, the men I've dated. Dude, hashtag Freud. Well, and also I just want to say that like, just because you have a sex podcast, that also doesn't mean that you have to be exactly what someone else thinks you should be because you have a sex podcast. You are allowed to fill in the blank. You're allowed to be a lady. You're allowed to not want to fill in the blank. Like you're still allowed. And like, that's because women are allowed to be complicated. Like, yes, we don't have to pick. It's men who are like in so many cases, but you're right. I think it is generational and I think it is. Shifting. Yeah, I think it is generational. And I think, yes, it t can tend to be men. I will say when I first started the podcast, my mom was horrified. I mean, horrified. Now she loves it. As she should be. I'd be worried if she wasn't. 100%. <laughs> I, you know what? I will, I would be the same way with my kids, but yeah, my, my 15 year old Googled you. Cause I was telling him that I was going to talk to you and he was like, Oh, is this her? I was like, yeah. And I was like, you should probably stop scrolling. Like now he's like, Ooh, podcast about sex. sex and I was like, okay, enough. 
enough. You need Stop. to take the phone away. I'm like going back in my head about things I've talked about. Mayam, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. You were brilliant. This was fascinating. I want to do this again. Guys, you need to check out Mayam Bialik's Breakdown Podcast. It's phenomenal. And what is your YouTube channel? Is it just your name? Oh, my YouTube channel. It, yeah, it's Mayam Bialik. And then I miss Mayam on all my uh, other things. But yeah, and the website for our uh, podcast is BialikBreakdown.com. Okay, amazing. Thank you so, 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 so much for coming on. Thank I you. feel smarter just talking to you. Oh, th- well, I feel cooler talking to you. Shabbat shalom. And you can find me everywhere. There's social media at Sophia Franklin. That's Sophia spelled with an F, Franklin with a Y. Please subscribe to the show, Sophia with an F. Please rate me five stars, LOL. Like I'm telling you the name of the show, like you're not fucking listening to it right now. Um, Also, SophiaFranklin.com is my website. You can find the cutest merch available. And I'll talk to you next week.